0: I'm going to put this tiny crab down so I stop making noises with it. you got
1: to put the tiny crabs down at the beginning of the podcast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't wait halfway through. Are you, are you playing with a tiny crab over there? <laughs> I've been playing with the tiny
0: crab the whole time.
1: <laughs> you can't tell me how to pod. <laughs> no rules over here. It's just It really feels like you're arbitrarily trying to be annoying now. <laughs> just juggling crabs. Live ones. I've tied, How have you organized this? I've tied
0: maracas to their claws. <laughs> what that seems so unnecessary?
1: <laughs> They're already quite irritating.
0: So every time they snap, they like extra maraca on top.
1: Way, way, way. Look at them go.
0: Go on, Look review a film. Go on, review a film. Go on, go on, oh. go on, go on. Go on, go on, maraca go on, go Yeah, it is. It's
1: the first and only film. <laughs> It's the only thing I've got on the mind now, it's the phenomenon taking over the country.
0: Morocco crabs. Morocco
1: crabs. Morocco crabs. Morocco crabs. crabs.
0: Morocco crabs. Morocco crabs. crabs.
1: Morocco crabs.
0: Morocco crabs. Morocco crabs. Just crabs.
1: Morocco crabs. Well I think we've probably said Morocco crabs enough for this week. Morocco
0: crabs. Morocco crabs.
1: Yeah. Actually you're right, now it's
0: better.
2: crabs. Slightly worse? Anyway, crabs.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's still it's not perfect still that was about five maraca crabs ago but <laughs> it's the best it's been since then <laughs>
0: oh i really thought she was a lot better five maraca crabs ago
1: <laughs> i like she her early maraca crabs <laughs>
0: she really peaked i always think she peaked about three maraca crabs in <laughs>
1: It's typical. The fourth maraca crab was just all about the showbiz life. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't relate to it, frankly. No.
0: Fifth, one, oh. fifth maraca crab was just about how everyone slated her fourth
1: maraca crab. They <laughs> forgot all about the party crabs that started all of this. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Terrible to think that her producer was exploiting her throughout the whole thing, though.
0: Yeah, awful, awful. We just cut yeah, to that, a giant lobster just, wearing a yeah. suit.
1: <laughs> No, the cruel twist of fate that is the chauffeur's industry—it's all lobsters. It's all lobsters, really. (laughs) The maraca crabs are just a clicky distraction.
0: My name's Jen Blundell, and you are listening to Jen and Film Critic, a Screen Mayhem podcast. And with me, as always, is my maraca crab, Paul Salt. Say hello, (laughs) maraca
1: crab. (laughs) Click, click, click,
0: click, 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 click. click. I hope Paul's kept that um, bit of nonsense in at the start of the episode, otherwise this isn't going to
1: make any sense. Oh, don't worry. That's not going anywhere. (laughs) Oh, yes. Good, 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 (laughs) good. It's the only thing (laughs) of value in this entire podcast now. (laughs) It's the only thing that spoke towards the authentic experience of modern Britain maraca More crabs. Also, than any of the films I have to talk about, maraca crabs.
0: maraca crabs. Um, speaking of films,
1: have you seen some? <gasps> I have, but firstly, before we get into any of them, I have to note with great regret that I failed to get into a screening of Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. Not get into that's <laughs> that. Yeah, they they kept they, me at the door. I wouldn't let you in. <laughs> oh please we know what you're
0: like <laughs> no you're banned and there's just a photo of your face next to the door but it's only mm-hmm.
1: from transformers they're like we and heard leave, we bay heard you slagged michael bay off <laughs> <laughs> we heard you making fun of optimus primate i thought his name was optimus primal we can't remember which is the thing you made up
2: get
1: out <laughs> uh, i tell you what it came and went so quickly <gasps> So, I have no idea who the optimal prime is, and I may never do oh. because I'm not watching it at home. <laughs> I'm not watching a Transformers movie at home. Aren't Why you, would Paul? I do that? Aren't no. you? I
0: legitimately Aren't you? am not. Uh, may I remind you of a small thing called Recommendations Month that you oh, have on no. your podcast, One Good
1: Thing? It's fine. All of our fans love me. They wouldn't do that.
0: I'm a fan, Paul.
1: Oh, no. Oh, God. Well. Unfortunately, it's just sold out in every single shop in the world. Um, Uh Okay. The reason it was so hard to see is because the movie massively underperformed and left screens in a hurry, which kind of sets the stage for this roundup of June and the first half of July because Mm. it has been six weeks of pure cinematic disruption. Mm. Nothing has been safe. Uh, Unexpected hits and misses. And in fact, I think I can divide the 12 movies that we are here to discuss (gasps) into similar thematic pairs. Want a hit, Want a miss. Yay! I'm excited. Yay. I love this new Isn't format. It's exciting. It's nice? a new format that I'm going to have to try and worry about going forward.
0: <laughs> First, setting standards for yourself that you can't keep yeah. up it's fine
1: by the end of this episode i was sufficiently disappointed everyone firstly we have two big action movies Mm -hmm. late entries and long-running franchises starring male leads who are getting on a bit (laughs) so first of all we have the peter pan of action films tom cruise in (laughs) (laughs) the mummy there was a mummy film there was a mummy film with tom cruise in it You didn't know. It wasn't in the newsletter because it didn't have Brendan Fraser in it.
0: Ah! Wow. Gosh, I'm really disconnected
1: from the world. It was 2016. Okay. It was a long time ago and a lot of bad guys. Is it the one with... Who's the bad guy in it? Sophie Batella.
0: Nope. 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 Nope.
1: It's the one where at one point Tom Cruise yells, Jenny! And now me and Given quote that. That's why you're saying Jenny. I knew- That's yeah, why so we say I, Jenny. I, every-
0: I recognise the reference every time you do say <laughs> Jenny on One Good Thing,
1: but uh, <laughs> I'd forgotten where it came from. Um, it
0: came from The Mummy. The Mummy. Jenny! Um, mummy.
1: Jenny! Well, I'll tell you what, Jenny's got nothing to worry about because it's Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1.
0: Yeah. The <laughs> seventh
1: film in the franchise. We saw this together. We did. We did we indeed did. We saw it together very in, upsettingly recently. Yes,
0: and a very rare screening where I get to see a film with you for the first time that you are mm. seeing it.
1: I hadn't seen it before, <gasps> not even in a spooky, usually
0: you preview. Usually you go uh watch the films for me in advance and then you take me <laughs> to the best ones. <laughs> that's true. This was it a was, risk. I had a genuine moment sitting there before the film started being like, Oh, what if it's bad?
1: Yeah, Paul hasn't vetted this. Wow. And I, what if I
0: watch a bad film with Paul?
1: Ooh. Oh, that would be terrific. That's really gonna taint We've our done friendship. That. I've Haven't done that we? so many times with Katie. I don't feel like you and I have ever no, watched a bad film together.
0: No, I'm very picky.
1: <laughs> Apart from, you know, the OGT things, but. Yeah. Oh, we watched Life itself for the first time together.
0: Yeah, that was for OGT, though, wasn't it? So, yeah, it doesn't count. It doesn't well, count. Well,
1: this film wasn't wasn't uh, spoiler alert. This film was not uh, a very bad film. No. Uh, the film sees very secret agent Ethan Hunt <laughs> as he uh, to the extent where seemingly the president of the United States or the head of intelligence, yes. whoever he was, doesn't know about this particular yes. service. Um, as he races against time to stop a powerful artificial intelligence from conquering the world with misinformation. Yeah, people are calling the film prescient, as if that hasn't been the premise of every techno thriller <laughs> since Asimov. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so we start with an absolutely stunning sequence that mm. not only quickly makes you invest in a new little group of characters just briefly mm. uh, but really draws out the tension of their situation and it's this marvelous introduction to the villain of the film and a very clever little introduction to the central theme of misinformation and not being able to trust mm. uh, technology then you get thrown into another action scene that is of course also brilliantly staged as you'd expect um although it would cause John Wick 4 and more than just its choice of setting because it is the most straightforward gun battle mm. possibly of the franchise so far that little first action scene. Yeah. yeah. Um they did just shoot each other. Wow. <laughs> they did just shoot each other in a in a desert that looked like a Call of Duty map. Yeah. <laughs> um then we have a briefing scene. Mhm. And yeah which serves to basically just go back over ev- in detail everything that we've learned so far. Mm-hmm. And this is where I start to get a little uneasy sat there in the cinema. I start to think, huh, okay. The film is a little messy structurally. Mm. It chucks you about a bit and um, mm-hmm. isn't quite as assured an experience as you would kind of hope. You know, very early on a film will either just tell you that you're in safe hands or you need to be a bit worried. Mm. And this film told me to be just a little bit worried. But... That feeling truly is eclipsed by the action sequences, and we really are running the gamut here. Aside from the Modern Warfare-style gunfight and Das Boot-style submarine tension that we've already covered, the next big set piece is a Hitchcockian MacGuffin chase in an airport. Mm. That, in true Hitch fashion, is fueled by the charisma of its two leads, which in that case is Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell, newcomer mm. to the series. Then we have a big, bold car chase that clearly cribs from the Italian job, um, and also just accidentally outdoes the uh, similar sequence in um, Fast X, also set in Rome. <laughs> and it's like, wow, this is what it looks like when you're trying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Then you have a nightclub's uh, punch-up that puts you in mind of a certain Mr. Wick yet again. Mm-hmm. And of course, the big finale involving a train, which Director Macquarie suggests is inspired from by everything from Keaton to Cinnamon. So it's grandiose, it's yes. ambitious, yes. and taken in isolation just completely beautifully effective. These mm. are there are sequences and specific shots here that do invoke that magic of cinema kind of feeling. Mm. Which makes me wonder, what is it I'm pining for here? You know, isn't there something deliciously cinematic about just stacking up action set pieces back to back and doing all of your storytelling and character work on the fly? You know, am I really missing the sequences where they gather around a table in a crypt somewhere and shake their heads at the immensity of what's coming (laughs) and deliver portentous dialogue? Not really. But I do feel that the previous films and the previous Macquarie films, the last two, did a better job of delivering a smoother experience through the action scenes. Mm -hmm. But I think rewatches are going to be very kind to this film and a huge part of that is going to be Hayley Atwell, who is kind of the vulnerable heart Mm. of the film. Though far from a damsel in distress, she's very capable, charming, and a relatable character who is also in way over her head and yes. injects some much-needed vulnerability to the film. And I think watching this again from her perspective is going to make the grander narrative feel a lot more coherent and human. Um, and then in addition to Atwell, the regulars are fabulous. You've got Cruz doing his big movie stuff thing, but he's yeah. also he's so much more emotive than his rival's. You know, just the the sequence where he's in his little car and he's constantly unsure of himself and he doesn't know how to do it. And it's like, this is, you'd never get The Rock doing this. He's got so much charisma. Yeah. He's so self-assured. You know, he doesn't mind looking silly every now and then. And just, yeah, it's very funny, but also really humanizes the character. Mm. And the same for the build-up when he's psyching himself up for the big cliff jump at the end that everyone knows about. It's just little moments where he, he makes you feel like this is a guy doing this. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And it, it you know, in a film that's constantly, or you know, in a especially in a genre where it's constantly upping the ante. You know, we've seen people throw yeah. cards through space and whatever. The yeah, fact yeah. that he took a moment and, and before, I think it's not even that final jump. It's one of his earlier jumps where he's just mm. taking a moment to be like, oh "Okay, this is scary." I'm like, "Wow!" Suddenly, like, I really do feel the state. I know he's going to be fine. Of course, he is. Yeah,
1: yeah. but like,
0: <laughs> it made me a little bit nervous, and it's very good. <laughs>
1: yeah it makes you imagine doing it mm. and that's not a nice thing <laughs>
0: yeah no it's not
1: <laughs> oh. then you have rebecca ferguson with her immense still charisma mm. She's very good then you have peg and uh reims who are doing their business as a double yeah. act and it's charming. you know it's fair it is charming comedically it's a little weak but at the same ah, time yeah. again compare it to fast x where oh, the yeah. supporting crew just actively annoying yeah and you're like, okay, this is fine. This is good, even. Yeah, <laughs> A couple of couple of moments with them, like when Peg is defusing a bomb or mm. it humanizes them a bit yeah. and makes them a bit more enjoyable to watch. The film does struggle a bit with its villain mm. because obviously the main villain is a faceless AI who isn't able to offer much presence. Mm. <laughs> uh, but the face of the AI is Gabriel, played by Esai Morales. Mm-hmm who gives a fine performance, but yeah. the character is just significantly more dull than Henry Cavill's villain from the last film, who was mm. unique because he was big and he was bold, but he was foolhardy. Mm. He was bullish. He would run into the situation, and that flaw made him interesting. Mm. Because having just a flawless villain isn't that exciting, but this guy is unpredictable. He's like Khan from Star Trek Two. Mm. You know, this is... This guy, he's just a man in a suit and his plan is immaculate and it will come off and you should be scared because of how cold and cynical he is. But it's not as fun as just a guy with a big mustache who runs in and punches you in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) The visceral hatred between Cruz and uh, Cavill felt a lot more palpable in the last film. Yeah. Um, As his main henchman, the sort of um, tiny blonde woman who's Mm. incredibly angry and is this tiny little force of nature... That's Pom Clementif. Okay. Who, perhaps for obvious reasons, I did not recognize as Mantis from the Guardians of the Galaxy films. I thought I did
0: recognize her. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Yep,
1: but she doesn't have big CGI eyes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay.
0: (laughs) Now you've said that.
1: Okay. Yeah, there it is. Yes. <laughs> she's wonderful. She's yeah, just yeah, this tiny little force of nature. She's very good. She's wonderful. Um, and then returning antagonist, the White Widow, played by Vanessa Kirby, mm. is significantly more interesting for me. I really enjoy Kirby's performance in these movies. Um wonderfully menacing and seductive and quite elusive mm. as well. Yeah. It's a great cast. Yeah. Uh, you know. I guess I I guess that's just an issue as so I'd like to have had more sequences that were sort of character driven than action driven although the one that we do get ends up being inadvertently hilarious due to a repeated gag of having people say a portentous thing and then dramatically turn to the next person to say (laughs) a dramatic thing (laughs) and they repeat that shot seven times and it ends up being very funny
0: group conversations in this film uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> especially once they get past four people start to get a little bit silly
1: <laughs> yeah but my god you have to appreciate the power of the of the, of the ladies of this film mm. in particular the fact that there was a costuming decision to put them all in immaculately tailored suits yeah it's superb and whoever it's like, did that yeah. deserves an oscar <laughs> seriously yeah and whoever decided the recurring motif should for hayley atwell should be billowing white sleeves yes. uh, giving her a kind of um, pirate what was yeah pirate, what was Booking keira knightley's in. character oh. in, um mm. something swan Oh, Elizabeth Swann. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that kind of feel yeah. to it. Later that's, that's... later
0: uh Pirates. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> later on when she gets to wear cool stuff instead of just corsets. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It is cheesy though, this one, oh, yeah. it's, um, oh, yeah.
1: it's self-aware and has a good sense of humour about itself and, you know, it's still one of the best action franchises i ever, mm-hmm. you know, made and the installments in these are just all-timers including this one. But I must say, I am surprised to say that I think John Wick 4 might be the superior overall film. Mm-hmm. Um. It manages the rhythm of an action a- of an epic action film better, even if the individual sequences of this film are far more impressive than any of the in- sequences in John Wick Four. The scale is just unparalleled. Yeah, I really do respect that, and I just, I yeah. just wish the experience coalesced a bit more naturally. Is all. Yeah. So, fair enough. It's four stars. If we were on Letterboxd, it would be four and a half. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it, sure. it's very much up there. It just has to fall short. Yeah.
0: I'd give it four too. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Good time. We had some laughs in the cinema. Yeah, we did. Uh, it knows what it is. <laughs> yeah. But it I agree. Is, yeah. It just had a, there was a little clunky edge to it. But it I just enjoyed it a couple of points much.
1: where I was just like, oh, is this good? Yeah. Is it good? And you know, and yeah. I don't remember thinking that in Fallout. The last no, one. I just no. remember being completely yeah. swept away on by On the edge it. of my seat. Yeah absolutely yeah. but hey they've yeah. got part two. Oh yes true <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile i can imagine myself catching this again okay cool before it, assuming i'm not just completely mm. bowled over by barbenheimer
0: and <laughs> you have to I take will. a week off school <laughs> to process it
1: <laughs> which my parents will allow yeah um well, I'll get a yeah, note. assuming that's not the case i will i will see mission impossible again cool then on the other side of the coin we have a franchise that is fueled by something other than obsession Money. Mm. It's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yeah. Uh. Harrison Ford is back as Indiana Jones in the second belated sequel to the classic action-adventure trilogy of the 1980s. This time, he's chasing Nazis again as they attempt to find the Dial of Destiny, a MacGuffin that shall grant them unbelievable, ridiculous powers. And he's joined in his quest by a young woman named Helena Shaw. My plot synopsis just ends there. Okay, that's fine. Um... (laughs) Oh, something, something, something,
0: something, guns. Something, so, something, something, aliens. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's
1: exactly it. I mean, the movie starts with a classic indie action opening sequence set during the war, mm-hmm. uh, starring a young indie, which is accomplished by you know how no, CGI. old CGI mm. euthanizing. That's probably not the best <laughs> <kind of, like, laughs> term. <two. laughs> Making youthful euthanising. nizing There you go. Uh, to Older. Harrison Ford's face, and it just looks uncanny and unsettling as it always does whenever they do that. And it's particularly upsetting when his smooth rubber lips actually move and an 80-year-old man's voice comes out of them. Let's just get a younger actor to play him, it's fine. We can suspend disbelief in that way. It's way less upsetting than suspending our disbelief. Much less, yeah. Yeah, I'm imagining this suddenly video game character is actually interacting with other human beings. Anyway. There's a subsequent train sequence uh, culminating in a crash, which in comparing to Dead Reckoning 2 just makes you wonder why. (laughs) Why are some of us doing the least whilst others are doing the most? And especially galling when you consider that Indiana Jones is a significantly more expensive film than Dead Reckoning. It really really is. And it just makes you wonder where the money goes because what's most astonishing about indiana jones and the dial of destiny is that they spent so much money on staging the thing and then seemingly even more money to make it look like they didn't wow behind the scenes footage reveals that they actually did hold a massive parade for the sequence in which indy grabs hold of a horse and rides it for a parade the color grading and processing makes it look all fake wow it's unbelievable it's just burying the work you know good cgi should be about taking out the strings not Mm. replacing the puppet this replaces the puppet and makes it look fake. Like, it's it's ridiculous. In some ways, I don't know, it feels like the producers were hoping for a similar trajectory to either Top Gun 2, uh, yeah, Top Gun Maverick or Avatar 2. Because hmm. it's a legacy sequel, they took it to Cannes, and very much like Avatar 2, they went to all the press to make sure that everybody knew that this was going to be one of the most expensive movies ever made. And it looks like The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You know, Avatar 2, for all its faults, looks fairly expensive. yeah. Everything here is smooth and ugly and polished. The, the sepia tone they've smeared onto everything, you know, it just it distances mm. you from everything relating to the actual action on screen. And it adds this hideous greeny brown quality to everything that just couldn't say this isn't proper cinema to me more than a Netflix logo at the beginning. You know, it's just... yeah. A real turn off and beyond the aesthetics, which is not a great sentiment to say for an action film, you have the story, which is quite perfunctory. Just a series of chases and dungeon crawls until you get to the ending, which is very nearly crazy enough for me to recommend this film. (laughs) It gets a second star back thanks to that ending. It's a big move, but it's consistent with what comes before it and the franchise is set up sufficiently and is such a mad idea that I did find myself smiling the first time I did during the film because
0: <sighs> what's bigger than
1: aliens i know it's bigger than aliens wow <laughs> if you like i can tell you and then cut it out tell and me after tell me reaction. after so you don't have to uh, you can oh, tell no, me I'm now mes- but it'll, you, you better I'll, remember I'll to cut it out, out i will i promise i will remember to cut this out okay listen the listener I okay go on tell me that's pretty good that's really good <laughs> that's really pretty good <laughs> that's really good <laughs> oh i shouted that quite loudly into the microphone that's good that's pretty good <laughs>
0: that's pretty good
1: and i have to give the movie respect for that that's better than anything that happens in fast x yeah that's pretty fun <laughs> that's okay. extremely fun okay if that was, maybe i'll
0: just watch the last 10 minutes of this. just <laughs> watch the last bit
1: i genuinely think you could because otherwise I'm struggling to think of anything meaningful to say about it. The characters are nothing new and nothing exceptional. They don't find a good reason to justify bringing Indy out of retirement. And there's just, I don't know, there's stuff in there about regret and ignoring personal relationships, but what's new, you know? It's not a film I find easy to recommend, so mm. it's just the two stars, I think, for that. It's And it gets that second star because of the, act, the, the final 20 minutes or so.
0: Yeah, fair. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh.
1: Cool. well that's the first cu- that's the first coupling over
0: mm. coupling the coupling i'm reading a book about ancient greeks greek myth Ooh. and they um uh they keep using the word coupling he coupled with yeah. her immediately oh that's lovely
1: mm. <laughs> i think that's very flattering on behalf of zeus in terms of some of the things he used yeah. to get up to yeah <laughs>
0: he coupled with her immediately
1: against her will <laughs> whilst, while yeah, she was a whilst... cow
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> she was unaware of what was going on they coupled
0: yeah coupled yeah um there's lots of weird coupling and even better is like and then it's like and then the cloud version of the goddess had a baby and that baby was so <laughs> ugly that he just would he would only couple with um mares and that's where we get centaurs from and you're like
1: <laughs> wow. thanks oh. ancient Greece. <laughs> amazing wow <laughs> what a creation myth yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's good <laughs> Why do our people exist like this? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Right? Your okay. great-great-great-granddaddy had no game. <laughs> okay, Too much game. <laughs> oh, God. So it seems... Ah, oh, but yes. It wouldn't be a month in a year if we didn't have some terrible superhero movies to talk about. Or yes. some superhero nonsense, I should say. Mm. Because we've had so much this year already. Yeah. But we start with a film that actually m- makes you forget the fact that we've had so much mm. already. It's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse.
0: Yay! Yeah. It's I've the second film of the franchise. Well. We saw this together. We did. It was not <laughs> the first time you'd seen it, but it was good. No, <laughs> it was the second time, but it was just yeah. as good. Thank <laughs> goodness, because <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> goodness. what if that had been rubbish?
1: Well, what if I taken <sighs> you to a rubbish one? What if I prank you next yeah. time? Prank me. <laughs> you try I and take me to Superman. a
0: rescreening of the toby Maguire third Spider-Man. And I'm like, jokes on you. I love this one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Dang it! Backfire. Now I have to stay. <laughs>
0: Now you have to like- stay whilst he dances on screen.
1: Oh yeah, Topha Grace.
0: Yeah, Topha Grace is uh is um
1: That was a thing. What's his name?
0: Pestilence. Yeah Pestilence. Balance.
1: That's a great name for the bad guy, right? It's Venom. <laughs> Venom But pestilence is great. Yeah. <laughs> Venom's a bit catchier to be fair, but <laughs> it is a little bit, but I enjoy pestilence. That's the mm. name of my goth band. Yeah. Yes, this is um, Across the Spider-Verse, a sprawling, epic superhero film that concerns Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy as they contest with the might and madness of the multiverse, Mm. as well as a new villain named The Spot. Mm -hmm. This is that rare film that just makes you feel grateful to be in that cinema. It is a purely cinematic experience. Listener, if you can... Find this on the bigger screen that's still showing this. I imagine that there's a lot crowding it out at the moment, but don't wait to catch this on streaming if you can help it. You need the giant screen and you need the sound system. Mm. Because, my God, from its opening production logos, the animation style and Daniel Pemberton's score is just so exhilarating that you can't help but smile and just know that you're in for something special. This is that safe hands thing. Mm-hmm. You know, This movie gets you there by the time the logos are finished. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's impossible to describe the animation. Um, Suffice to say, it's an absolute gauntlet thrown at the generic style Mm -hmm. of animation that has become so popular these days, where realism is the ultimate goal and all the characters look like Disney. This is highly stylized and Mm. very diverse, utilizing what feels like a century of animation technique to bring its universes to life. It's, It's just so fearlessly willing to be abstract. Yes. You know, every universe has its own style. In Gwen Stacy's world, everything is watercolour and the backgrounds actually run Mm. and shift as if it was still wet. Mm. And it's just stuff that makes no logical sense within the sort of diegetic nature of the universe, but it's just purely visual in a way that only animation could be. Mm. This is not a movie they made because they couldn't afford to make a real one. This is absolutely maximising what animation can do. And... You know, sometimes all you're seeing are big blocks of color and impressionist suggestions of location or character. And then when things start to kick off and the action really starts going, it's just shapes hurtling through space, barely enough time to way. comprehend. In, in the, the best way. In the best way. It really is. And it still finds time for, like, jokes and humor in that action. And it's just some of the most incredible stuff. Yeah. Oh, God. And because every single part of the star suggests inventiveness, they can do some really wild things. You know, with the narrative and Mm. with the animation style, they can just do things and have these sort of big moments of of humor that feel very natural. And the music, oh God, Pemberton's score and the use of the soundtrack, the actual songs in it, just Mm. feels so cool. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It just feels so effortlessly cool. Like, this is not studio thinking. This just feels like somebody's very good music tastes. Yeah. (laughs) And that's so helpful for connecting you with the youth of the film. Just Because that youthful excitement and energy is a huge part of what you're actually seeing here. Because beyond the staggering production of the thing, you have the actual subject, which again suits the presentation. It's about young people beginning to feel that call of the wild. Mm. And the guilt that inevitably comes with the strain that that's going to place on your parental relationship. Because Mm. there's home and there's the world. And you get called into the world. And you feel guilty about that because you start letting down the people who care about you as you try and carve out your new life. And of course, the they want to explore this world. It's, you know, of course our characters want to explore this world. It's gorgeous and full of humour and good music and everyone's beautiful and charismatic, but there's danger in it too. Yeah. And the film handles Menace really well. And does a really good job of setting up each villain as having a personal connection to the mm-hmm. heroes and making them a sort of consequence of their actions. Um, a little word further on the humour. This is a Lord and Miller project with lots of other talents involved as well. And you know, with their other collaborators and the performers, they achieve that most difficult thing in a big blockbuster movie, the humor feels natural and genuinely funny and even spontaneous. Mm. Even when they do big jokes like having the Lego universe in the movie, yeah. because the filmmakers are funny, you don't think about all the effort and money that went into a sequence like that, and it just feels like a off-the-cuff throwaway gag, which is what jokes need to be in order to feel funny. Yeah. You know, you can't think about how much work went into a gag, unless it's very stupid, then it's funny by contrast. Yeah. But
0: maybe it's because. Even... The... Sorry, mm. I was going to say. No, maybe it's because the whole film clearly took so much effort and care. And yeah. There's no like. It, it's all consistent in. So when they insert a sequence like that, it's just, it's not like a screaming change of pace.
1: Yeah. Mm.
0: It's just all so good. There's just so much work. (laughs) And I just being on Twitter Mm. and seeing the number of artists who are like, I did that. I did some concept work for this. I did something for that. And you're like, wow, they really drew on so many artists to make this. the kid, the kid who did the Lego thing,
1: It's very good. But I mean, speaking of all that, it would be remiss not to mention the fact that the movie's production was apparently very difficult for the animators and working conditions were a bit poor. Um, yeah, and I this is devastating news because the whole film feels like a sheer act of love and creativity and beauty, and it's unfortunate to then learn that those attitudes were not present for the people involved in working on it. So I hope the studio takes this on board and improves working conditions for the next one. You know, fans are going to be patient of this, you know? Pe- we love these movies and mm. are more than willing to wait as long as it takes to make them ethically, mm. you know? They have yeah. to remember that these conditions will be a part of the film's legacy. but nevertheless i'm still giving this five stars it's one of the finer films i've seen this year and i just adored it yeah it
0: was fantastic
1: yeah fantastic (sighs) but then unfortunately there are films that do remember do remind you that we've had so much this year (laughs) (laughs) what's this wait let me
0: guess have we had flash out yet is this flash yeah it's the flash it's the flash Oh god,
1: where do we even start with this? The sheer number of things that this movie has going against it. They really did bet the farm on one particular aspect of this, making up for everything else, but... Alright, let's start general. This is the latest film in the rapidly closing DCEU, which is soon to be rebooted as the DCU, the Detective Comics universe. So, (laughs) you know, everything since Man of Steel to now is basically going to stop. Which I believe this is meant to be the Herald of, because the story concerns... Multiple universes. That's right. Not just two superhero movies we've had in June, but two multiverse superhero movies. Wow. We're going to suffer for this, unfortunately. There have been three, by my reckoning, good multiverse movies, I think. Go on. Well, what if we can't? Both Spider-Mens, because the first one also had the multiverse. True. No Way Home is a flawed film that I still think is... I still haven't seen it, but yeah. Okay. It's it's good stuff. And then Everything Everywhere all at once. I think... Uh, those are the good ones. I, I liked Doctor Strange well enough.
0: Mm. Multiverse specifically. I always think of um uh, the X-Men one with oh, time days of travel. Past. Days of Future Past. It's not really multiverse, it's more no, like time but, travel it, that gives you kind of similar possibilities.
1: But in terms of the studio sort of the reason the studio is like this mm. is because you can really maximize the exploitation yes. of IP with this premise yes. by tying in different Properties and different franchises, and suggesting those are different universes. Yes, it
0: felt very exciting when Days of Future Past. I've said this before. It felt very exciting mm. when Days of Future Past came out. I was like, I remember turning turning to Sarah in the cinema, being like, "Wow, all the things they can do with it." Whereas if they did it now, I'd be like, "I get it. You wanna you wanna squeeze more yeah. stuff out." Sure, okay. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but for that first time, you see James McAvoy though come face to face with Patrick Stewart. There was an excitement. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, there was a real excitement to it, but. The thing is, these studios need to remember the quintessential issue of multiverses, which all the good ones have understood. If there are infinite universes, then nothing really matters. Mm. And that's just going to be more and more true for your movies if you keep drawing from this well. Mm. You need to tackle that head-on, or audiences are just going to lose investment. Anyway, let's get back to the actual story here. Ezra Miller... Okay, we need to stop again. Ezra Miller's bizarre legal issues and odd behavior have plagued the production and promotion of this movie, with many wondering why the film wasn't canceled or he wasn't just replaced. Mm. So, you know, Batgirl was canceled for seemingly far less significant reasons than this. Are you looking up Ezra Miller's. I, I'm just looking up Ezra. Yeah,
0: just <laughs> you can go ahead.
1: Uh, take it in. Take your time. <laughs> There's a lot to read.
0: Uh, you it's... You keep talking.
1: It's very hard not to think about his very publicised personal difficulties, we might charitably call it, during this film, particularly as he plays a-, a lovable, socially awkward guy who is constantly being mistaken for a creep.
0: Oh, dear. Whoops. There we go. Let's just open controversies and legal issues. Continue.
1: <laughs> You'll find three subheadings. Yeah. Uh... Let's just take in Jen's reaction to uh-huh. Mr. Miller's situation.
0: Uh... Okay, first one, not too bad. That's just he was found with some pot in his car. Ooh, oh, second yeah. one's not so great.
1: <laughs> it's the last one. It's the doozy. Oh my God, there were at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, I think Vermont Farm is my favorite.
0: Okay, seems like he was a bit of a creep in Hawaii.
1: He's been a creep all over the place.
0: Hmm. Hmm. It's not great, is it? Yeah, it's... Oh, and then just a burglary charge. Okay. Oh, and then just burglary. Just some straight just... foot... Wait, sorry, I'm just grabbing random words. I just saw the word <laughs> rice wine. I was like, he didn't do he bur... <laughs> Tried to burgle rice
1: wine, did he? That's no. swine. <laughs> it's all very weird, and it's all up in the air, but it's impossible to yeah. separate from a movie where the character is... Yeah. Similar. (laughs) Similar (laughs) mischief maker. You just think, oh, what's that crazy guy gotten himself into now? Mm
2: -hmm. And,
1: yeah, inexplicably, Miller returns. Okay. He plays Barry Allen, a man who can move incredibly fast. (laughs) And one day he discovers that he can actually move so fast he can travel back in time, trying to save his mother, who was murdered when he was a boy. He soon Mm -hmm. finds that he's changed the future in ways he didn't anticipate. So he teams up with his alternate self. Oh, boy, there's two of them. Yay! Double as Ramilla. Oh, this universe. Double down. Is... Double down. This movie is this universe is Batman, played by Michael Keaton, reprising his role from the Tim oh, Burton yes. films. That's oh, what yes. they were betting the farm on, so so to speak. Um. <laughs> ugh. Ugh. um and Kal El's cousin, Supergirl, played by Sasha Cal. Uh Yes. They t- they race through time to try and prevent the victory of General Zod, Michael Shannon, uh, in an event from the first DCEU film, Man of Steel. So. The movie starts with an opening action scene where Ben Affleck's Batman calls him to a hospital uh, that is collapsing so that the Flash can run around and rescue all the civilians. It's one of those skyscraper hospitals you hear about, and as soon as it begins to collapse, (laughs) the um, maternity wing gives way and all of the babies fly through the window and fall towards the Earth. The sequence shall become infamous okay (laughs) it's something right out of deadpool is a deliberately bad taste action scene with special effects to rival cats in terms of just being truly uncanny it's just ezra miller running through the sky jumping off of debris and such rescue uh, lining babies up so that they will land gently onto a stretcher and putting one of them into an unplugged microwave for safekeeping that's weird it's really weird It's the most extraordinary sequence of this film and possibly any film and hints at a style and irreverence that shall not be achieved again. Yeah, It's very out of place. There's a sense of trying to reinvigorate uh, interest in DC here here because they are Mm. trying to plan for the future whilst Mm -hmm. also uh, eulogizing. Mm. So the universe is collapsing and soon to be rebooted and there's a need to close everything off by revisiting the events of the first film bringing Keaton back from his franchise to remind people of the good old days before <laughs> Zack Snyder was involved and trying to get just a little bit more mileage out of Affleck before he's unceremoniously dropped, which I think they effectively do in this film. I think he's okay. out now. Right, But it just, it rings a little hollow. You know, the franchise refuses to engage with the heart or spirit of any of these things in fa- favor of it's just vapid mm. Deadpool-esque dark comedy. It doesn't want to admire itself. Um, to mire itself in the cynicism of Zack Snyder rightly so Mm. um and it doesn't want to engage with the gothic aesthetical mindset of Tim Burton so it's just surface you know the appearances in this movie are best summarized by the fact that there is a scene late in the movie where they experience lots of other universes and we get hideous cg facsimiles of other dc properties including a very insensitive dead-eyed rendition of Christopher Reeve's Superman Mm. and a really absurd realisation of the aborted Nicolas Cage Superman project from the 90s, which proposes that he was going to keep the hair that he has in that famous concept photo. Even though that was clearly just a costuming thing and he probably would have cut his hair before shooting actually began.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: This is all related in a Kevin Smith anecdote where he talks about how he nearly wrote a Superman movie directed by Tim Burton. And the fact that significant screen time is dedicated to his Kevin Smith anecdote really demonstrates the level of snake eating itself you get, you've mm. got here with the DC, navel yeah. gaze is
0: navel gazing is that it's what, navel na- gazing yeah, that's what I,
1: you know that's what i wrote and i upped it for snake biting but i think it's it is I like navel no gazing. i like
0: snake biting its own tail a little ouroboros of the ouroboros. Uh, ouroboros, yeah. ouroboros, ouroboros ouroboros i'm sure i'll find out how ouroboros was born from zeus or whatever at some <laughs> point get soon. There.
1: god probably turned into a goat and had sex with something and now ouroboros is here yeah exactly so I mean, moment to moment, it's relatively fun. The chemistry that Ezra has with himself is very watchable, and <laughs> it's hard enough to guess where this is all going. But it's just incredible how quickly it all falls from memory. It's got so much baggage that it would have to do something very special to recommend it, mm. and it doesn't. So ah. I'm still only giving it two stars. It didn't active- I still hold one star back for films that actively irritate me, and <laughs> this film didn't do that. But there we are. It's it's a frustrating little thing and it's it's actually it's not frustrating it's just tiresome you mm. know why why is this still happening to us why mm. is there still another dc film on the way that blue beetle thing we oh, saw yeah. advertised like i don't know and another one after that aquaman and then they're rebooting it and it's just it's so why? exhausting oh. you can only hope because this movie was this movie might be the greatest flop in cinematic history it might have really? lost more money yeah it, it's really record-breakingly lost money wow. and people are putting that to all sorts of things um you know superhero yeah. fatigue Ezra Miller fatigue <laughs> um there's a lot of different things working against it here but I would love it if the big studios could take stock and just go back to one movie a year would be nice
0: <laughs> yeah just one good one one interesting one, good one
1: one good movie a year please even just two would be better. Just two, oh, two
0: fine ones. I'll t- two fine ones would be better than twenty
1: oh, blur ones. I know, but hopefully the lessons are there to be learned this year, this month, this year. <laughs> and I think we can see that continue because, uh how about some laughs?
0: Yes, give give me comedy.
1: Let's have comedy. We have a big studio comedy that has not thrived at the box office and a weird little indie movie that has, to the extent that a Wes Anderson film can be considered little or even indie. (laughs) certainly weird. It's Asteroid City.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh Wes Anderson's latest sees him return to the US and setting anyway. The film was actually shot in Spain. For the first time since Moonrise Kingdom over a decade ago, he is back in the United States in terms of setting anyway. There's a framing device. It's a little hard to summarize this one. There's a framing device involving a playwright and a director who are mounting the play Asteroid City, which is then communicated to us as the actual film. Okay. So the action you are watching is actually a implied to be a cinematic rendition of the play that the characters have, me- have written. Okay. It makes sense when you're in it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, there are layers of artifice going on, which beautifully bespeaks loves uh, Wes's love of the medium Mm. and his eagerness for the audience to participate in the act of choosing to invest in the construct it's a really beautiful thing that he calls attention to and so the film which is a play within the film is about a young father played by Jason Schwartzman who has lost his wife Mm. Um, he's traveling with his children uh, including his eldest Woodrow played by Jake Ryan who has entered a science contest in Asteroid City, a fictional city in the middle of the desert. I can't remember if it gets said that it's in Nevada, but it's implied that sort of area. Okay. Unfortunately, the contest is interrupted by the unexpected arrival of an alien life form, Uh uh, leading to all of the disparate visitors to the contest being quarantined together. So the COVID lockdowns were an inspiration for the script, according to Wes, and the film Mm -hmm. captures that eerie feeling of uncertainty and confinement. Um, albeit very few of us conducted our lockdowns anywhere near as charming and aesthetically (laughs) pleasing as Wes Anderson's beautifully well-observed 50s American town, but there's still a sense of being penned in together, cut off Mm. from the outside world, which is very interesting to see Wes Anderson explore, of all people. Uh, Beyond that, Wes is dealing with familiar themes of creative frustration, romantic difficulty, and strained parental bonds, the stuff he usually goes for, but what really impressed me is the film's framing device and the implied relationship between you know, the play within the play and the actual <laughs> playwriting process that is part of the film. Okay. You know, I don't want to say real life, obviously, because yeah. none of it is, but, you know, it's, it's this curious interplay between the different levels that I think is very ambitious and much more sophisticated than, you know, for example, because it does achieve something having the Grand Budapest Hotel being a story that is a memory, that is a recall of, you know, someone else. Mm. it achieves the putting you in the right mindset for it but this is doing something a bit more ambitious it's talking about how creative people use their mediums to explore Mm. you know difficulties they've had in their lives and i think that's a very eloquently communicated thing but it is also of course just a delight to watch it's i think it's funniest Mm. film since budapest okay um the characters are so charming that you just want to keep spending time with them you know, I think everyone walks away from this thing with having a different favorite performer in this. Um the ensemble cast includes some excellent newcomer newcomers to Anderson's newcomers. 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 cucumbers. Cucumbers Cucumber. and newcomers are all welcome Cucumber. here. And the newcomers include Matt Dillon, who's very good as a okay. sort of surly mechanic, and Margot Robbie who actually steals the show in one of the best scenes that Anderson <sighs> has ever written. She's so charming. She's in one scene and it's just it's the best. And his Great. direction is so on point in that moment. But also, of the returning people, I think Jeffrey Wright just.
2: Mm.
1: Oh my God. Oh, and I didn't look her up, but the person who plays the school teacher is so charming <laughs> and so funny in the way she delivers the lines. It's just. She's perfect. Sometimes someone comes along and you just think, oh, wow, you're perfect for this. Yeah. You nailed this. Mm. Tom Hanks is here. And he does. Yeah, he does fairly well. He's playing a sort of Gene Hackman style character. Okay. Um,. It's actually it's interesting. His character is not a very big part of the film, but it's 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 charming and amusing enough. I, you, I love the way actually he's playing the Bill Bill, Bill Murray character, thinking about it because he's yeah. this very old guy who sort of um still considers himself a bit of a Lafario. So, okay, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's quite funny. Um, yeah, everybody does a wonderful job of making them all feel unique while still very much within the parameters of a Wes Anderson performance. And I think that bespeaks what's really been accomplished here. Anderson's style is so distinctive and singular that the risk is that it feels like an affectation sometimes, mm. um, intended to disguise a lack of depth. But form and substance are beautifully matched here. This is his best film in years and one of the best comedy dramas of the decade so far, perhaps even the century. So yeah, it's, it's all five stars. Cool. Yeah, I love nice. this. This will be in the top five Wes Anderson films for me, I think.
0: Nice.
1: I have to see it again before I decide where. Conversely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's couple is um Zeus disguised as a ram, it's no hard feelings. <laughs> how appropriate that is. Ah, Have you heard about Gen- this?
0: The Jennifer Lawrence one. I've yeah. been advertised it heavily.
1: Yes. Yes. Yes, they really tried to make this Sorry. a thing. I did watch the trailer. I was told it those... was
0: unmissable. <laughs>
1: <thing>. <laughs> well, you certainly couldn't miss it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God almighty. Do you remember those raunchy comedies of the 90s and noughties, like the mm. Farrelly Brothers stuff? Um, the American Pie. American Pies. It would often have people from TV in it, so you would often have a friend in it. Okay. What just the one friend. We'd have a friend. friend. Like, I remember Matthew Perry being in a couple of these things, and like okay. Jennifer Aniston. There would be like raunchy comedies that would have provocative premise- premises, premises, um, mm. but then also a cloyingly sentimental through line that would very much you know, put it within the realm of just being A movie that people could get on with, so it would be like, "Oh, we're shocking, but don't worry, we're good." Really, in the end, when you get those, I
0: can't think of anything apart from there's something about Mary because they have that. Yeah, there's something about 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 Mary having the um hair product.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there was a few of those, a few of those that they made, and you know, it's a terrible, it's terrible because then they essentially. In a, At the last minute try to bestow some humanity to the characters That they've spent the film inviting <laughs> you to mock So terrible template in American comedy films And this is a, f- a throwback to that So it's Jennifer Lawrence Playing a 34 okay. year old woman Who is desperately trying to raise money To save her dead mother's house Okay. When her car is wrecked In the process of being repossessed She needs a new one uh, In order to continue to work as an Uber driver um, To get said car She finds a job listed by two wealthy parents who want someone to date and ultimately sleep with their awkward 19 year old son, who they feel has become too introverted and needs to loosen up a bit. Okay. And from there, you can actually, once you get over the shock of it, you can actually guess the rest, Mm. you know, you know, it will spend some time wallowing in the premise of a very sexually aggressive woman trying to seduce an awkward nerd and not, he's not getting it. And you know, all the rest of it. So she gets more obvious. And they'll end up growing close and realizing they have more in common than they fought. And then he's going to learn to loosen up and she's going to learn not to be a nightmare all the time. And she'll get jealous when he meets someone his own age. He'll find out about the payment. They'll come apart, get back together and end up as friends. It's very, yeah, yeah. very formulaic. Hmm. Perhaps the only sequence that may make the or- take the audience by surprise is the nude scene. Because you know there's going to be some nudity in this. It needs it for its bona fides as a Mm. sort of adult raunchy comedy. It's been sold with a lot of sex in the marketing, and in particular a lot of sort of Jennifer Lawrence kind of sensuality. So there's going to be a nude scene. Um, But not really wanting to stage a sex scene with this boy, (laughs) who is often... The characterization of this kid shifts from he's a bit awkward to he's a child okay yeah like they really don't manage the nuance here they opt instead to have jennifer lawrence beat up some teenagers who have stolen their clothes whilst yeah she is completely and graphically naked whilst beating these kids up that's fun Mm -hmm. that's quite fun fun. to be honest it's like the (laughs) ending of indiana jones and the dial of destiny it very nearly gets (laughs) just like it just like just like it it. (laughs) Beating up kids is always fun. I love it when that happens. Oh yeah. And the nudity, you know, did take some courage from Lawrence because it's oh, yeah. not the most flattering No, you if you're being
0: nude, you want to be softly lit and still. Yeah, you don't you want don't to be want on to be a be beach beating people lit by moonlight
1: <laughs> beating people up. Yeah. It's I'm an unexpected <laughs> <laughs> I mean I was into it, but it's an unexpected sequence, uh, in an otherwise by the numbers film. I remember the saucy romantic comedies as a boy. Um mm. You know, all the friends would be in there and or or any one of them. And the capital F friends, (laughs) the capital F friends. And they would be swearing and nudity and things that you weren't allowed to see on TV. That was it. As you went to the movies for the stuff that was too hot for TV. Mm. You know, it helped my young mind comprehend the idea that cinema was a grown up medium, whilst TV was a, you know, sanitary one. Even if my understanding of what was grown up was itself very (laughs) adolescent, just restricted (laughs) to nudity and swearing. Now it does feel like cinema is where you'll be able to see the most commercially viable, i.e. tame version of what you might otherwise catch on television in shows like Euphoria, Mm. which I believe is a sort of teen-oriented sex thing that is a lot more edgy than probably you could get away with in any mainstream American comedy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The the thing about... I've watched a lot of... Not necessarily the raunchy ones, because I was a very Mm. good girl but oh, uh, yes. <laughs> a lot of sitcoms and you kind of don't you know the plot like yeah. even at like yeah. the age of 60 and I knew exactly which way the plot was going to go right and it kind of doesn't matter as long as there's fun bits like yes, there's lots of fun odd. like comedy bits along like something like bridesmaids I'm quite fun mm. I've watched bridesmaids several times it's fun I know exactly yeah. what the plot is going to be it does not add anything to the film but it's there because
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've yeah. got to have
0: something to hang it on
2: well but there's exactly. some very
0: good bits like when they're trying on wedding dresses but yeah. they all get the sh-s. yeah and you're like Absolutely. great I can be like oh yeah the bit where she has to sink to the floor in the middle of the street because she her pants and you're like that's really funny yeah <laughs> um I said a lot I haven't I that's <laughs> not said a swear. quite a lot I'll, I'll um uh, p- okay <laughs> poop you can put poop in instead I'll put poop in there's a moment when they she poops her pants in the street <laughs> yeah um it's very funny.
2: Yeah. But,
0: so like, I don't mind it being formulaic as long as you could be like, there's some, at least one iconic bit, like well, iconic gag in the show. You know.
1: I guess Jennifer Lawrence beating people up naked is the iconic gag. It just, I mean, there's also a front punch, which I saw them make a big deal out of in the in the. I think I saw that in the clip already. It didn't look it that didn't, good. No, it wasn't very good. It didn't land very that, well. No, it's, it's got to be
0: more than just like someone threw some catch word, you know, catchy words together. It has to be a whole... Yeah, whole scene. I think a That's prolonged
1: good. comedy sequence. Yeah, yeah, this is lacking exactly. that. I think yeah. it's just you know, it's, trailer it's, didn't look great. I judged no, it by its cover. <laughs> it's one star. it's, it's oh. quite yeah. It's wow. quite frustrating. Okay, it, it, it was fairly irritating. To be fair, you do hate comedies. So. I do hate bad comedies. That is true. <laughs> no, you hate all comedy. You hate laughter. I
0: <laughs> hate the joy I, I, of children. I've heard you hit, say before now.
1: Like I allude, I do. Like I alluded to, I, that's why I like Jennifer Lawrence beating them up. Um, <laughs> as I alluded to, and across the Spider Verse, the thing for me is comedy has to feel spontaneous. And the more aware I am of mm. how much money went into a gag, yeah, the harder I find it to find it funny. Yeah, it's true, and it's yeah, why it's I true. prefer comedy, you know, in the smallest venues possible, stand-up gigs,
0: mm. you
1: know, things like that, or um, on television, or in, you know, yeah, these kind of things, or at the very least, indie movies. The bigger budget, I find a comedy to be, the less likely it is that I'll be able to get involved. Yeah. Especially American (laughs) comedy, where it seems like the predominant form is sort of awkward improvisational dialogue stuff. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do big comedy on the big screen, make it visual comedy, you know. Nah. Nah, it's too much effort.
0: They're just just meant to be easy films that you can put on in the background whilst you have a sleepover with your gal pals. Well, this
1: might do for that, although there's not an awful lot for gals to to bond over in this. I don't know, Jennifer
0: would just... Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Slagging off Jennifer Lawrence, admire <laughs> secretly admiring and wanting to be Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Wondering whether you've actually got a crush
1: on Jennifer Lawrence. That's very good formative stuff and there'll be yeah. plenty of opportunity to do all of that. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's that's feels
0: yeah. No, I think so. Okay. Well in that case I'll It's true that saying. it needs it needs like a ro- Robert what's his name? Robert Dempsey or whatever. Who was uh, Yeah, Patrick you know, Dempsey? Patrick Dempsey, that's it. It yeah. needs a Patrick Dempsey figure in it to make it a real like sleepover rom com. Yeah, I don't you think. Need, you need like got one any. hot guy that you can all be like, Oh, isn't need dreamy. Yeah.
1: You did a proper nightly face there. So dreamy. Oh, he's so dreamy. Oh, dear, that's one of my favourites. Oh, dear <laughs> Parlay. Dreamy. <laughs> so dreamy. I invoke parlay. <laughs> it's very good Neither nice of your you. lips are touching each other yeah. <laughs> Bex Watson does an excellent impression oh. of Karen. Well mm. we're going to have to get her on the show just to do that yeah. I'll call her now <laughs> 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 Oh god Next up Yes Two prestige horror films mm-hmm. Both of which are massive hits Yes I've broken Yay! the format already Because low budget horror always makes money <laughs> Always Firstly, we have Insidious, the Red Door. <laughs> 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 Were well, the Insidious films
0: started. about creepy, creepy boy child?
1: Yes, creepy boy child. Creepy because boy the, child. the series star Patrick Wilson now takes a turn directing. But he's also still the, the sort of main character. And yeah, it's the latest installment in this franchise, the Lambert family. Uh, family. Christopher Lambert Christopher, The Christoph Lambert family <laughs> have all grown up and left behind dreams of becoming the one true Highlander Yeah, and um, no, they've, they've grown up and they've left behind them that year, that really weird year they had where a horrible demonic figure tried to possess their youngest son Dalton and succeeded in possessing eldest father Josh.
0: That happens uh, we all have one happen. year like that
1: <laughs> It's a horrible year <laughs> that is best put behind you. Best to get um, it over
0: and done with early before the kids can remember <laughs> like chicken pox
1: it's best it doesn't happen too late, so it won't take the kids by surprise.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> resulting in a murderous rampage that nearly claimed all of their lives. They've made the decision to wipe their memories of the whole affair using hypnosis, except mum. Mum can remember everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's
1: best someone does. It's best someone does, and it's best it be mum. Dad would yeah. overreact. Yeah. Typical. Ten years later, so emotional. Oh, uh. Ten years later, the parents have separated. And Dalton is on his way to art college to be whiplashed by the intense art director who encourages him to dig deep into his subconscious to f- oh. f- fuel his art. Yes, whoops. And, and so.
0: his, his mum didn't say no, maybe no art Yeah, don't do art maybe, college. Maybe just like, just strictly d- just like bricklaying. Just accountancy just for you. Accountancy. <laughs> <You laughs> Unromantic must- things. I think even yeah. if you did bricklaying, you could somehow make like a ghostly yeah. image. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're doing accountancy only.
1: Your sons uh. lack heart. You must dig deep into yourself. <laughs> Find the maths within. <laughs> uh, the film, it shines in its scare sequences, which are surprisingly invented on, on, inventive, honestly. There are some setups, in spite of being a salty old horror dog yeah. I haven't seen before. Ooh. And a few times it did genuinely catch me off guard and it remem—it captures the menacing energy of the Insidious franchise. Um, you know, in the first movie, you've got a horrible sense that the ghosts are just really malicious. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just, like, weird ghostly spirits or, like, weird deformed things. They're these horrible, angry things that are desperate to try and get out, and it's yeah. its well-captured. There's a horror to the ghosts which is very palpable, and the design, the way they're filmed, there's something of the pure evil about them which is not easily achieved, considering how susceptible this genre is to cliché. Mm-hmm thematically it's about repressed memories and buried traumas which is familiar enough to horror most horror things yeah. are about that in some way but more interestingly you do have the son being encouraged to dig into his emotions and his past to find inspiration for his art and in doing so stumbling upon all the grief and trauma that he has attempted to bury um and has also been encouraged to bury by his appearance so there's some betrayal involved there and that's more interesting it's a slightly meta idea of linking the creation process to the concept Mm. of being haunted and i think it's quite fertile ground and would like to have seen a bit more of Mm. that being the focus than you know the typically arbitrary rules of supernatural elements in the film you know when they start talking about doors that need to be opened or closed and you know then you just get back into either it being a very on-the-nose metaphor or just arbitrary I think the worst thing about it, though, is it just feels underpopulated. And that's a really weird thing to say, but the world feels sparse and hollow and the dialogue doesn't ring true and it all feels just a bit rushed. You know, he he has a roommate character. They go to college and suddenly you just get the impression that she has nothing going on in her life. She is (laughs) solely there to support him. Hmm. And she's black as well. So she's tying into that old uh, trope, the 90s trope of the supportive black friend who doesn't have anything going on in their own (laughs) life. Yeah. Oh dear. They'll just occasionally show up to say something sassy and it's just
2: (laughs) Mm.
1: not great. Sass
0: me, black friend. My character needs it. My character needs some.
1: The movie needs comedic relief and I need someone to bounce ideas off of. You've not got anywhere to be, have you? Great.
0: Great. (laughs) (laughs) Literally,
1: no. I cease to exist when you leave the room. <laughs> uh, but the horror set pieces are effective and it played very well to the room full of frightening teenagers that I was in there with. I really thought they would make my life miserable, but they actually... Punch them in yeah, the I, throat. Jennifer Lawrence was not there to punch them in the throat for me. And mm. in spite of that, Insidious kept their attention, so which I appreciated. So it's two stars. It's only two stars, but okay. it's, it's the warmer side of two stars. Okay. Didn't annoy me. Two okay. and a half if okay. um, I did such things.
0: Not allowed halves. No Stick to your guns. That's what my dad used to say. <laughs> Pints, <laughs> Pints or nothing for
1: your, your lad. <laughs> if you're any son of mine. Not at all conversely, we have the Boogeyman.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Harper
1: family is being tormented by some strange closet-dwelling beast called the Boogeyman that arrives after one of uh, the father, Will Harper's uh, therapy patients, kills himself in their home, himself a victim of the titular Boogeyman. So they have to band together to try and beat it this is a new film by rob savage who directed some excellent shorts back in the day and mm. we interviewed the producer jed Shepard here at screen mayhem about his excellent short film salt a few years ago mm-hmm. um and since then the two of them have made together host a wonderfully effective zoom-based horror and then mm. Dashcam, which was less effective but
0: i remember yeah
1: yeah we reviewed that it was undeniably yeah. unique using live streaming as its format yeah so he's done very well experimenting with form and as a result, his films have been very memorable and unique to say the least. That's what makes this film so disappointing because possibly the scariest thing about this film is how difficult I found it to remember when typing up these notes. Mm-hmm. I genuinely had to talk to Casey to see if I could jog my memory with oh. this thing. It's I, I kept recalling a sequence and then following it for a bit and then realise I'm actually in Smile or The Black uh. Phone or Evil Dead Rise or The Devil's Exorcist and... I'm not suggesting this film has ripped those films off. It literally couldn't have in most cases, but it is so generic mm. in its aesthetic, in its themes, and its storytelling. I mean, you're adapting Stephen King, so it's not going to be a brave oh, new frontier okay. in horror. You know, this is a 1970s short Stephen King thing, so it's not going to be, you know, brand new. Mm. This is from his drinking times. <sighs> and yes, the scare sequences are fairly effective, although, again, not very unique. I can't really remember any of the setups. And previously, that was something of a strength for Savage, so I'm disappointed to see that it stacks up so poorly against Insidious, or Smile, in terms of actually constructing horror set pieces. In its favour, Savage did manage a very menacing tone. You've got these kind of hushed voices and sort of quiet music, and you know, both visually and sonically, it is hushed, and that makes for a very disquieting atmosphere that is quite absorbing. There's a sleepiness to it that is very conductive to the nightmarish sequences, and... You know, it's good at getting you off guard. It just doesn't quite know what to do with you once you're there. Mm. So, yeah, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes it just feels like right now, iconic horror movies are coming out so fast that there just isn't time to process them. It's becoming a very crowded marketplace where, you know, the true pulp potential of the genre is being realized again and again. You know, high demand, Mm. low scrutiny, low barriers to entry. You get a lot of interesting stuff. And it's always been the most dynamic and exciting genre in cinema, I think. And Rob Savage came up through that system and capitalized on a profound need for new contemporary experiences with Host. But this is a step in the wrong direction. It's too generic and I do believe that Savage can do better. So it's just just the one star for that one. Ooh, Just the yeah, one. Just the one. Wow. Yeah, it's just nothing. It's it, it Honestly, ask me again in a week and I think I'll remember even less. Okay.
0: Well. <laughs> disappointing. It's, it's
1: disappointing, but there's a lot of horror out there. I think we need to be yeah, fair quite enough. harsh with it. You know, the good oh, voices yeah. need to be put to the top. Exactly. A lot of the good bad stuff. one's right in the bin. Right in the bin. Make way for Prado-Bailey Bond's second feature. Dang mm. it. Where is she? <laughs> I saw her the other day. She introduced Dario Argento. That was pretty oh. good. Yeah. It's like, to you
0: personally, in the yeah, street. Yeah, to me.
1: <laughs> Paul, you saw my film Sensor. Here's Dario Argento.
0: Oh, thank oh. you. Hello. Oh. <laughs> Thank
1: you. And he's just like in a, in a bag with a, a gag in his mouth. <laughs> he's in the horror bag. He's in the horror he loves bag. it. <laughs> yeah, oh. he winks at you and smiles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you're nasty. No. <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. Italian director. Yeah. But Naughty. enough Italian directors in a bag. It's time for two British indie directors. Sorry, I hit the wrong word. It's two time for two indie British directors. <laughs> <laughs> one is one of these movies is a big prestige BFI release. The other, I think it's still BFI, but it's a little smaller and weirder, I think. Both okay. did all right. There's not really any stats on these. But the first is Pretty Red Dress. Okay. You may have heard of this. I think it was at LFF. May have also been at Flair.
0: Describe it and I'll see if it rings well. well. It's,
1: Dion Edward's directing a film about a man who's just gotten out of prison. His name's Travis, and he comes home to his beleaguered wife Candice and his stroppy teenage daughter, uh, Cicely, played by um, Maria Almeida, and she's dealing with her own uh, identity issues. Now, Candice has an audition to play Tina Turner in a new musical, a life-changing prospect, and to aid her confidence, Travis buys her a very pretty red dress. But... With it hanging in the closet, he soon finds that he has his own urges that drive him to adopt the seductive garment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rings a bell. Mm. So uh-huh. Natey Jones plays um, Travis and is wonderful in the lead. He's very okay. good. Um, going about his everyday life, he delivers this these layers of a closeted man. You know, mm. he's a very big guy, but he's got this huge sensitivity within him. There's this pride, shame, and uh, false bravura hiding a terrible, you know, shame. And the movie makes you afraid for him, afraid for this big, beautiful man, because, you know, he's got this vulnerability that he is privately nurturing inside of him, and we have these wonderful sequences of seeing that, and, you know, we're afraid of how quickly we know it would be destroyed upon exposure. Mm. You know, because the movie does a good job of surrounding him with the toxic masculinity that's going to just absolutely punish him if any of this comes to the surface. And the movie comes alive in the sequences where Jones is seduced by the dress. You know, Edwards shows the allure and the danger in these kind of hazy, dreamlike sequences that bespeak a whole forbidden world that, you know, um, Travis just wants to step into. Conversely, Alexandra Burke has a tougher job to do. And I think it's the script's fault more than hers because it's it's difficult because two movies are happening here. One is Natie Jones wants to wear this dress. The other is Alexander Burke is trying to get this Tina Turner gig. Oh, and the singer Alexander Burke.
0: Yes. Who won Pop Idol or something I like that. I think so,
1: yes. Yeah, she
0: won one of those talent shows, didn't she?
1: Yeah, I think she's a mm. Hackney resident as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and she... Yeah, she's she's a struggling mum coping with a rebellious daughter and a husband who's just come out of prison and she's trying to succeed in the world of showbiz against you know all the odds and it's a fine role but she also has to be an antagonist in the other story mm. in natie jones story she has to be the arbiter and enforcer of toxic masculinity she engages in like kink stuff with him mm. but she still has a very rigid set of expectations for who she wants to be married to And, you know, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Natie Jones. And it's no mean feat to marry those two things together. You know, it's one thing to just have a cartoon villain in your movie, and it's another to have that villain also sort of be telling her own story. And, I mean, the thing to do there, I guess, is to kind of justify her intolerance and, frankly, sometimes outright bigotry as being symptoms of her frustration and fear. Mm. And that's difficult, and I don't think we quite get there. Landing okay. instead on a character who feels a bit Jacqueline Hyde. Sure. You know, they kind of turn on a dime and it's not always clear why. Um the movie does move towards this moment of triumph for each of them near the end, but you know, you had to do that. You can't really make a movie with hate winning, you know, no. now. It, that's not <laughs> the story people want. Um. But the way they deliver a satisfying resolution for Travis and Candice are very different, with one achieving a very tangible reward, whilst the other infinitely more powerful ending is perhaps implied to just be a fantasy. So, that's a little frustrating. Mm. Uh, You know, it's a little unforthcoming with the joy that you want to feel here. But the triumph of the film are little moments, like when Travis and his daughter bond on being, what is it? Off-key. It's the Mm. phrase they used to mean just sort of a bit different from everyone else. And that's, you know, really beautiful when those moments of connection actually start happening. And the artifice and defensive layers that they've constructed around them just sort of start coming down a little bit that's really exciting to watch so yeah it's four starts you know credit to the sequences that really blew me away but it fell short of true greatness for me and I think it was because they needed to just work on the Alexandra Burke character a bit more because it comes off a bit EastEnders now and then (laughs) Oh yeah okay (laughs) you are not my mum yes I am yes I am
0: I remember watching that
1: you watched it live
0: Yeah, I think so. I was it was around the time when I was watching T like EastEnders regularly, wow. so I guess so. It's hard to remember whether I'm just remembering the moment from having seen it like again on Yeah, you know, talking heads type shows of the top ten moments on whatever. Yes, but, that's the uh, first
1: obviously where my experience of it is from.
0: No, but I did watch EastEnders a lot around that time. So right. um, I think I did see <laughs> it live. Right. Um It was good. EastEnders yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> That's get stuff.
1: The line of dialogue that always comes to mind whenever I'm slightly making fun of it with the family is uh look after the and air, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh get out my pub. Get out my pub. Get out my pub. And then on the weirder side of things we have Medusa Deluxe. Oh. You may have to bear with me on this one because I didn't have time to fully write up my notes. <laughs> I That's ran okay. out of time on this one. <laughs> This is a single-shot murder mystery in a high-stakes hairdressing contest. How about that for a premise? Wowie. Is that enough? (laughs) (laughs) That'll get him in. Uh, Thomas Hardyman writes and directs. Um, Yeah, like I say, it's this one-shot thing where the camera seemingly is moving throughout the entire thing. Obviously, I believe this is not actually a one-shot film. I believe it's a reconstruction. But nevertheless, there's some incredibly impressive long sequences. And in spite of being one shot it has pros and cons to it really on one hand you have a fair amount of inventiveness when it comes to the blocking in the room so he gets right up to his characters he drifts around there's a Mm. freedom to the camera that is quite beautiful and it makes you wonder how it happened especially with the sheer amount of mirrors Mm. in in the place but then the disadvantage is one of location because it's all happening inside of this kind of I don't know, you've got these levels, you've got the catwalk, you've got the dressing rooms, you've got the places where the hair gets done, you've got the lockers, you've got the corridors, then you've got rooftop space and you've got the car park and you've got outside. And we travel between these different spaces and sometimes the length of time it takes to cover that distance with our characters, I don't know, It, it it's trying for mood, I think, and they're hoping mm. that the music and is giving you time to reflect. And to some extent it is, but then it also just feels a little... To what extent did the geography of the set uh, dictate this? Sure, because it is a bit long in places; Mm. (laughs) it's a little bit frustrating. Um, But nevertheless, it's still it's very visually striking. There's an incredible sense of style. The actual hair in it is quite powerful. (laughs) Um, It's quite it's yeah it's a movie it's a good hairdressing movie. Um, Yeah, and it has very good performances. In particular, Claire Perkins plays this sort of. You know, frustrated artist, uh, woman who is just like is sick of getting passed up and is very easily outraged and quick to anger, and she's just incredibly dynamic to watch. And yeah, there's it's very theatrical, it raises attention to the artifice of the situation, both through dialogue, staging, action, all of it, um, Mm. whilst also sort of having a relatively effective, sort of suspenseful plot at the heart of it. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I think I think it's, um, I think I give it four stars. Okay, yeah, cool.
0: Sounds pretty it's interesting.
1: Similar. It's very interesting at the very least. Maybe it's a mm. little weaker than um, Pretty Red Dress, but it doesn't deserve three. No, it, it's, okay. it's four. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> Solid. Nice. What's our final pair. <gasps> and for the final pair, we have that very natural coupling of a the latest Disney animated family film and an intense political... Fr- I'm out, basically. Okay. Um, sure. I, 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 I'm amazed I managed to pair the rest of these so neatly. So these are remainders, frankly. Well...
0: Look, Paul. Though when it comes to a race, all that really matters is whether it doesn't matter whether Ugh. you win win by a, a centimeter meter or win by what is it? They sound fast and furious. Doesn't matter if you win by a minute or oh, win by well. a minute.
1: Mar- yeah, or if you lose by yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, it's, the fact yeah. is you didn't get all five pairs, six yeah. pairs, so you're out. I'm out, and I it's, win. It's time for someone else to do this podcast. And that's fair. Maraca crab. Maraca crabs. No. <laughs> ah. The rhythm did get me. Gloria <laughs> Estefan was right, and nobody appreciated that. Uh, ah, yeah. so let's talk about the family film. It's Elemental. Mm-hmm. You heard of?
0: Yes, seen the trailers. Yeah, they advertised it a fair bit from quite a while ago. I remember seeing yeah. the first trailers for that for ages ago. It felt like.
1: Yes, it has been a while coming. Um, this is Disney st- Disney Studios' new animated analogy. Um, mm. is about a city where all the different elements intermingle with each other. Ember Lumen is a young fire woman, and uh, she is trying to earn her place as her father's successor at the head of the family shop, the fireplace. Uh, But she's prone to fits of anger that put her future and the future of the business at risk. To make things worse, uh, she has a chance encounter with a self-assured but incredibly awkward young water person, Wade Ripple. God, the brainstorming sessions for this (laughs) must have been tedious. Okay, water, water. What have we got? Waves, uh... Uh, ripple, ripple uh stream yeah that'll do <laughs> steamy steam 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 no we've got steam people we can't have that uh froth foam um, steam wet
0: wet wet I'm, wet I'm, I'm saying steam
1: is that wet. oh no no wet yeah, right. wet steam wet wet steamman. you did it Bill. how about how about
0: we reference the band wet wet wet
1: oh i like that Children, yes, the
0: parents will love it. That'll no, be the they bad won't, guy because
1: they're grandparents at this point. They're grandparents now, and they don't understand what's going on. <laughs> Neither does uh, does anyone in Wet Wet Wet. Um, yeah, the two get into some trouble and fall in love and have to discuss uh, deal with each other's families and also discuss a lot. Mm. This may have actually been better paired with the Boogeyman in terms of being all right, but fundamentally unoriginal. Sure. You've heard the sort of breakdown of the Pixar formula. What if X had feelings? You know, what if cars mm. had feelings? What if, you know, old men had feelings? From what if? <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually you get to Inside Out, and it's what if feelings had feelings? You know, it's yeah. it's that kind of thing. It's very well known at this stage, and the citywide commentary thing is done way better in Zootopia mm. or Zootropolis, depending on where you're watching this. Although this it's called in, different things in different places. In the UK, it's Zootropolis, and in uh, the states, Z- it's Zootopia. Zootopia is a far better name.
0: Yeah, Zootopia no, is much better.
1: No idea why it was called Zootropolis, Zootropolis. here. Yeah. Very weird. But yeah, it's <coughs> it's a shame. it wasn't
0: it wasn't a utopia in the UK. It was oh, just a city.
1: Yeah, it was we had a very realist sort of impression <laughs> yeah. of what a multicultural city. You
0: will not lucky. call this a utopia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's wrong. It's, it's wrong.
0: It's wrong. Signed David Cameron.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And he, <laughs> he knew he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. So yeah, the Citywide Commentary thing was done better in Zootopia, although this film does therefore inherit that film's rather awkward and unfortunate social commentary. Because if you remember in that film, the mm. identifying half of society as prey and half as predators who are acting against their inner nature to ensure mm. the peace of society is inelegant, to say the <laughs> least. Uh, let's generously say that. Here we have multiculturalism, but segregation is functionally necessary as some of the elements (laughs) do pose physical (laughs) dangers to each other. Like, we do see water people inadvertently partially extinguish fire people without thinking. And we see earth people hurt by fire people, so... There's a practical so, consideration to their discrimination, which is yikes. So,
0: so yeah, stick exactly, Paul.
1: <laughs> I mean, the whole point is that you're not meant to stick to your own, and in the end, it does turn out that the fire people and water people can touch in some weird way, even though we have literally seen a water mm. person half extinguished by a fire person earlier, but fine, whatever. Yeah. If you do it nicely, it's fine. <laughs> so there's also a muddled attempt to f- do a form of uh, class commentary because the water people are coded rich, you know, okay. and the fire people are coded poor and weirdly non-white. There's a very Indian inflected score as well. Although the, the, okay. the casting of the water people is very diverse as well, but it's, it's still strange that they have a sort of ethnic implication to the fire people. Do you think so, they've tried
0: to do class rather than the more obvious, co- because otherwise it's more obviously about race?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's very difficult to separate the two, I guess there's unfortunately, two on, in a deeply yeah, unequal true. society, Especially, although you have to yeah. avoid stereotypes there. But, you know, it's the, the water people have the malleability to be a little more risk-embracing, as they can always okay. reform when they get hurt, ah, like rich people. Do hmm. um, <laughs> you know how they can reform, like the Terminator 1000, when you shoot them? <laughs> yeah, 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 just like that, just
0: like that. I've seen just it. Just like that. You've just seen like it that. done.
1: Go try it, kids. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the fire people are more fragile and, you know, ha- when setbacks happen they have more serious consequences, especially in a city that is passively harmful to them. Like, the mm. big transit system flows on water that sort of overflows and you know causes chaos. So, yeah, there's there's the city is just not built for them. Um, mm. But it also <laughs> does indulge in cliche as well. You know, the water people are squishy and emotional, the fire people are fiery and emotional but in an angry way. So... I don't know, it feels very broad strokes, but then again, it is a kid's film after all, and it's ultimately all about the idea that those scary neighbourhoods, maybe you just don't understand them enough. Which Yeah, okay. okay. So the most fun is to be found in the little details of how the society works and the unique gags that are afforded by, you know, the sort of forms of these characters. Gags involving light refraction through water Mm. or the modes of transport based around sort of how gas works. It's it's okay. very it's all very well thought out. So perhaps not all of the brainstorming sessions were tedious. <laughs> you know, some of them were like, okay, what's another fun thing we can do with a city where everybody's made of water? You know, yeah, people can get around in pipes, kind of thing. You know, and. Mm. I'm sure there will be dozens of those YouTube videos that are like, here's a little detail. Nobody in this city has this because this would be impossible for people who are made of gas, you know, kind of things. Sure, There'll be lots of little yeah, fun, fun details like that, which is nice. But And it's also, it's quite nice to see a big movie based around a romance story because, mm-hmm. you know, there's plenty of moments where it's Disney-style action, you know, business, of course, which I don't think I've ever been very involved in. You know, I can't think of a Disney action scene that I love. Even from, like, Renaissance Disney, whose favourite part of those movies is, like, the action bit?
0: No, it's never my favourite part. There's some yeah. th- I can think of some fun ones, yeah. but... Uh... I'm even thinking of
1: Pixar, because I think of, like, the door sequence in... I, I always go back to the door sequence in Monsters, Inc. You know, just where, where yes. the doors are all going on the conveyor belts, and I just remember watching that thinking, oh, this is a bit long.
0: Uh, I know, think there's some like, fun action in... um Incredible? Inside. Inside. um There's, yeah, there's some bits where they're trying to get over the ravine and things. Oh. At one point, she has to shoot. The, at one inside point, she weapon inside out. Sorry, yeah. yeah, inside out. I got hot. I yeah, I I just hadn't finished my sentence, Paul. <laughs> I was get getting out. there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a parenthetical clause. Yeah, um,
0: <laughs> and I don't know. I've been thinking about Hercules a lot because of this Greek book I'm reading. <laughs> when he fights it's the the, great uh, the Hydra, that's a pretty good sequence. Okay, I've not watched that since I was a boy. So oh, a fun it's one. a fun fight sequence, but okay. it's not my favorite bit. But no, and him, the him fighting and... Hades at the end is also yeah some pretty good. It you know, there's some good d- action in that, but that one's yeah. he's a literally an action hero, so. Yeah. I hope so, right? Um... yeah. But that is a tricky
1: thing. But anyway, so there's some yeah, action true. business here, but there's there's it's not Certainly too much not of the that. focus. It's certainly no. not the best
0: bits of those films. No, no,
1: and this film, fortunately, it's not the focus here either. You know, the greatest mm. asset is its world and most of the runtime is spent exploring, but it is also really sweet just to see a film where the whole thing is hinged upon two characters getting to know and like each other. So No. That's sweet. But it's still two stars. It's still just Okay. I don't know, it's it's very generic and I'm I'm wondering what's next because the next Disney film I think is Wish which is their big 100th anniversary movie, which is actually about the star that you wish on, so... Okay. Yeah, let's see how that goes. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. But, you shouldn't take your kids to that. You should take them to reality, the final film. A tense political thriller. <laughs> <laughs> um, This is the true story of the interrogation of NSA translator... Definitely a translator, not an interpreter. They are.
0: They're... Do they do documents did dot- yes did dot- oh they're translated there, there then, go. Yeah. go yes yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks Paul. um yes it's the true story I appreciate of the-
1: <laughs> <it>. <laughs> this is the story of the interrogation of the nsa translator reality winner good lord america um NS-
0: wait nsa what's that stand for
1: uh national security agency oh yes mm. okay cool uh held within her own home so basically they interrogate her at her home um okay and if you don't know anything about Winner's story, I think that's for the best when watching the film because the film cultivates this cultivates this palpable, awful sense of une- unease. And I went in not yeah. knowing anything about her story, so it really just had okay. me uncomfortable throughout the entire thing because we see Winner, played by Sydney Sweeney from the aforementioned Euphoria, arrive home where she is confronted by FBI agents waiting for her. What follows is a reenactment of the actual transcript of the interrogation of reality Winner as the agents question her extensively about what they're going to find inside of her home before they eventually enter with her, search, and find a place to question her. And a big part of the film is the banality of this invasive procedure. From Mm -hmm. the very beginning, there's just this sense that something horrifically important is happening or about to happen, Um, whilst Agent Garrick and Taylor, played by Josh Hamilton and Marshant Davis, just make small talk, stay polite, tell jokes... Relate stories about their own history, and you know, it's all very by the numbers. And Sydney Sweeney is, you know, smiling but just visibly imploding beneath this kind of crumbling facade. And it's an extraordinary performance from her, she's absolutely incredible in this. Mm. Um, writer director Tina Satter is actually adapting her own play based on that transcript but whilst the film is limited to a single location it is very cinematic this is not a filmed play it's hard to imagine this being in any other medium having having experienced this this way it uses the medium to heighten the oppressive claustrophobia as the net starts closing in around winner um there are these really adventurous little moments where censored content from the transcript you know what was like blacked out Mm. is visualized with characters being momentarily erased from the frame or, Ooh. you know, and then come back again when the thing is finished. Or a bug on the window suddenly becomes the focus of the film. You know, this idea of... When I saw those sequences where the bug was focused on, I couldn't help but think of the um, the kind of sequence from uh, Paths of Glory, the Kubrick film, where these men waiting to be executed sort of see an insect in their cell and they just say, you know, this time tomorrow that bug will still be alive and I'll be dead kind mm. of thing. So there's a sense of just sort of the world moving on in spite yeah. of the drama. And there are these odd little Lynchian moments where after a really horrible moment of interrogation, the characters all just start laughing with each other, which must happen in the transcript. And it's just this surreal moment where everybody succumbs to the absurdity of the situation they're in. It's just, it has that visceral kind of car crash feeling of watching perhaps the worst thing that can happen to you play out on screen in a really believable way. Um, And for all its flair, this is a film to get angry about. Once you know what you know, reality when a situation is, is uh, continues, uh, the circumstances of this interrogation it's hard not to feel very angry about what happened. Uh, but this film existing as it does feels like a great vindication and victory. Okay. The process has started now of you know, I have to be vague with this, of memorializing <laughs> what happened during those years and mm. maybe this could be seen as this generation's older president's men in terms of the storytelling is starting. Stories sure. are to be told about this particular era of American politics, and this this lives up to that comparison to all, all the President's Men. It's a powerful little bit of filmmaking that feels like the first attempt to really start to, in its own sinister kind of softly spoken way, start to interrogate the heart of this horrible thing. Mm. So, yeah, five stars for this. I loved it. Cool. It's really great.
0: great. Right. What was
1: it called again? This one. Reality.
0: Just reality. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Mm. Okay.
1: And I think that's gonna do it for this guy. Nice. Ooh. And from me, it's, it's maraca crabs. It's maraca crabs. Tell you what, get your maraca crabs out though, because next time we're gonna do a very special episode.
0: Yes, we are. Yeah. Well, you said that now. What if something happens, Paul? You can't, oh, can't drink it. That's true. Just a regular episode would be very special, right listeners.
1: Regular episode about Barbenheimer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In which we shall have our first ever guest Mm -hmm. to the show, and also all three of us will have seen both movies, so that's that's Barbie and Oppenheimer for those who were for those of you who (laughs) are chronically online.
0: (laughs) Yeah. They're showing the new Christopher Nolan Oppenheimer film about (laughs) Oppenheimer. (laughs) <laughs> and that's releasing the same weekend as the new film about barbie yes and so, that is
1: very much something i want to discuss in great detail so <laughs> yeah we'll get into that hopefully next week so yes uh, week a week after i think
0: yeah. yeah whenever that gets released though we'll whenever that's happening, happening but we're gonna mm-hmm.
1: try and get it to you as soon as we can
0: yeah might Let's even come see. up before this episode might do <laughs> hope it was good <laughs> oh hope
1: none you us, enjoyed it none of us are friends anymore because of the mm-hmm. maraca crab situation as it's maraca
0: called crab. maraca, yeah. crabs.
1: maraca crabs <sighs> how can people find out more about maraca crabs
0: um, go to www.google.com forward slash yahoo <laughs> and then <laughs> snake and eating ask james to tell you about maraca crabs hey siri um, <laughs> hey girl <laughs> If you want to uh, get in touch with us, you can tweet at us at Screen Mayhem. Uh, You can also email us at filmcriticpodcast at gmail.com. My name was Jen Blundell and my film critic was Paul Salt. So goodbye, Paul Salt. Goodbye, Paul Salt well done uh our music was by mm. jacob blundell and you know what you can have a gold star today for only watching 12 films this yay
1: <laughs> oh my god that's how it works i'm rewarded for fewer films you my are my life me. is back <laughs>
0: <laughs> you are from me
1: Ah, oh, good night everyone
0: good night oh and i never said which films i'd watch uh, oh yeah the good ones i'd watch the good ones
1: oh that's good that's a good idea <laughs>
0: yeah no, I'm not going to watch any films. I'm just going to sit and watch Maraca Crab. Oh yeah, he's very entertaining. I've already seen two of these films, so it's fine. That's like way more than usual. <laughs> That's true. Two hundred percent. It's two hundred percent of zero.
1: Hold on, I can work this out. Twenty-four percent. Yeah. Yeah. Good night. Nice. Man. Night. Bye. Bye. Genuinely tried to do the math. <laughs>